Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. I'm back, Schmelk, back with you. And we got a little three-way talk today with Mr. Fiegels and Mr. Meadow. And I remind everybody you can find Big Blue Kickoff Live on all your favorite podcast platforms as well. Gentlemen, good to hear your voices. How are you today? Doing well, John. It's actually good to hear your voice. I think that's I don't most believe important. That for Glad us. to have you back. I don't believe and, that for uh, a I second. I hope you and the family are doing well. <laughs> I don't believe you're happy to hear my voice for well, a second. Well, under these really circumstances, don't. I am. Okay. Yeah. That's you good. know, you get tired of Detino after a while. So <laughs> that's right. actually, it is quite refreshing, John. Yeah, John, it is, it is, it is glad to have you back. We are glad to have you back and uh, hosting again. And, um, you know, we're, we're excited about it. And you didn't miss much. How about that? Well, <sighs> At least I got to do the draft, which was fun. And by the mm -hmm. way, I want to say thank you. You guys were very kind with your condolences, Paul, as well. All the fans out there on Twitter, I appreciate it. Uh, trying to get back to normalcy. Obviously, we'll miss my dad a lot, but um, we're, we're trying to keep going here. The world marches on, and uh, we march on with it. So, what I miss? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, like I said, it, nothing's really changed. We're still, still doing the same stuff, and, and we're hanging on. We've had a lot of good interviews. A lot of guys talking about some of the, uh, the draft picks. Um, we've talked to some people about, um, you know, on yesterday's show, we talked a little bit about from Mike Sullivan, who gave us a little bit of insight on kind of being in a quarterback room, talking about Daniel Jones and what's going to happen now with Eli being gone and on both sides of the football, what, uh, you know, what, what, what the Giants can expect. So, yeah, just a lot of talk about the team and, you know, kind of running out of things to really talk about, to be honest with you. Well, luckily, we did have uh, head coach of the Giants, Joe Judge, address the media today, and uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. I picked about an eight-minute chunk of it. I know that's longer than what we usually do, but I thought it was a good eight minutes, and I think there's a lot to cover from that. Uh, and you also, I haven't really, really had a chance to talk about the, the last day of the draft a whole lot uh, at the end of rounds uh, six and seven, so we could touch on that a little bit, touch on the schedule um, a bit too. Uh, Lance, you've been doing the shows on Sirius, and I don't know how many guests you've had. Uh, did you guys listen at all? And I want to just get to this uh, before we listen to, to head coach Joe Judge. Did you guys happen to hear or at least read the article of Peter King's interview with Anthony Fauci from his Monday football morning Monday in America column the other day? Did you guys see that? Yeah, I read the whole column. Yeah, yeah me too. I thought it was interesting, and I... I I look. I I think the NFL is in a situation here where this this is going to be determined by events out of their control for the most part. But I I think if you look at the situation and you think, all right, if you can do it without fans in the stands and you know you do testing often, uh, I do see a plausible path here to how games can be played when we get there in September, assuming the, the country and world at large uh, continues to see the type of improvement that we're seeing the last month or two. Yeah, well, I think what Peter King and Anthony Fauci laid out is, you know, nothing's easy at this point. And it's really not just about the NFL, John. It's really about all of professional sports. I think we're seeing that in terms of Major League Baseball trying to start things up. There's been a few dates that have been thrown out. The NBA now having conversations about whether or not they could salvage the season. You know, we're dealing with the land of the unknown. I think the positive for the NFL is the fact that, for the lack of a better term, I think a lot of these other professional leagues could serve as guinea pigs. And what I mean by that is the NFL can watch and observe 
and see what these leagues are doing, the protocols that they're putting in place, what's manageable, do you need X amount of locations, can you have teams go back to their respective facilities, and the good news is, once again, the NFL is not against the clock, as some of these other leagues Mm -hmm. are, because then it starts eating into the following season, so I look at that as a benefit for the NFL to really learn and observe, and the UFC just had an event this past weekend, clearly not to the same volume in terms of athletes and players that these other leagues are dealing with. But once again, these are all factors that the NFL could take into consideration. And you would hope that by the time August rolls around, the country as a whole will be making progress. But I don't think anybody has a crystal ball. And I don't think Anthony Fauci has a crystal ball either. But I think he certainly could provide a lot more insight than the typical people because he has the expertise to weigh in on those matters. And I think it's just going to be a matter of guys of people being flexible too. Like if you get to a point here and maybe one team has a few positive cases and that team can't play ball for two weeks. And you know what? Maybe at the end of the season, maybe not all the teams play 16 games. Maybe a few teams only play 14 games and then the team with the best winning percentage ends up winning the division. I think given the situation we're in, I think the leagues are going to have to be very, very flexible in how they go about this and just accept that maybe a less than perfect season and one that's weird Mm -hmm. and strange and has some stuff that you never thought would be possible for, maybe that's what we're going to have to deal with because something in this case would be better than nothing. You know what I mean, Jeff? Sure. And I I think that, you know, there's been nothing like this that's happened as far as setting precedents. But, you know, there's been strike-shortened seasons. Um, There's been the uh, lockout. So there's a lot of things that kind of – you can go by if you're the National Football League, but I think you are in uncharted waters. We're in times where we don't understand what's going to happen, and I think that the NFL, along with the 32 teams and their constituents, are getting together and saying to themselves, listen, here is our plans. We've got two or three of them, and as we move forward, we'll see which one comes into focus a little bit better. And like Lance said, we can look at what these other leagues are doing as far as testing, as far as uh, the protocol for if fans do get into the stands. And I think that it's really it's not as easy as everybody thinks. And, you know, we've, the, the talk these days has been about moving training camps to a certain site outside of the complex. Well, you guys know, and Paul, I mean, um, John, you know, being up at Albany before, you know, it's not that easy just to move your training camp even though they did it just an hour and a half to two hours away, moving it out of state logistically. Well, and, so, and by the way, why would it be any safer somewhere else? Well, you know uh, what I mean. Again, yeah. and I think that the fact is that this this is the Giants and and the the Jets talking about moving out of the, uh, Jersey because of just the, where the epicenter of this stuff is happening. That if all the other teams have, have gotten together and said we're going to be able to move somewhere, then you know they're probably. But you're right; it may not be as safe and. I think that testing, testing is going to be one of the yeah. the protocols that's going to have to be done every day, if not uh, twice a day. Yeah, you know, and I think they talked about maybe twice a week. That's what Peter King Something. and Anthony yeah, Fauci I mean, talked about. And it's going to be important to do it right before the games. You know, maybe on a Saturday night you get the quick turnaround so you know in the morning if somebody has it, then they can't play. Um, and you hope that the other players on the team, the the negatives are true negatives and they aren't false negatives. And, and you know, and you kind of attack it that way. But, look, I think this is going to be controlled by things outside of the NFL hands. They're going to have to do the best they can. I don't think predicting now what's going to happen makes sense. And people, some people will be like, oh, they'll figure out a way to play. Other people, oh, they're never going to play a season. I don't think there's any point in saying either of those two things right now. I think you see a path where it works. I think we see a path where it doesn't work. And 
you kind of move forward the best you can. You prepare for the season as normal. And Lance, I think the one thing that does work in the NFL's advantage, in addition to what you mentioned, is that it's only one game a week. You know, you have an NBA team uh, and a guy tests positive. By the time he tests positive, they could have played two or three other teams. You know what I mean? And then you have all those other players that could have been exposed. At least with the NFL, you have one game a week, and you can do the testing right before the game, which I think should limit at least to a point how much exposure a potential positive player could have, if at all, to other teams, which cause that chain reaction, and then other people get infected, and then all of a sudden the league might have to indeed shut down. So uh, I just think we're in a real murky territory this far ahead of where the season's going to begin, and making any predictions right now I think is just people doing a lot of guessing. Yeah, I think it's just full of speculation, and I'm not really a big fan of laying down exact timelines and results for any of these leagues at this point because I don't think anybody really has a firm grasp of what's going on right now. So, you know, there's only so much substance you could put behind a discussion like this. However, to piggyback off of your point, John, I would agree with you. I think it's a little bit more manageable in terms of the NFL dealing with one game per week, and normally teams don't travel until usually the day before the game. However, you still practice on a daily basis. Yep. So I think the bigger concern is about protecting your own team versus your point about it exposing your players to other teams. Here's the other thing, though, that I think is important to bring up, and Jeff alluded to this as well as you, and Dr. Anthony Fauci brought it up in some questions that were posed to him by Peter King. The NFL is going to have to be fluid this season more so than any other season because you know how sometimes we get the practice reports guys out on a Friday and sometimes there is a last-second injury, nobody anticipated something happened in practice, and you have to make a roster move. Well, John, in your scenario, if you're testing guys on Friday and all of a sudden a positive test pops up, there's going to be a world we may live in where somebody's going to be deactivated and it has nothing to do with an injury related to football. It may just be because of... COVID-19 or whatever it may be. So I guess what I'm bringing up is I wonder if the NFL is going to have to reconfigure roster configuration, yeah. flexibility, movement. That may be somewhat of a challenge that we normally don't talk about in previous seasons. However, you're probably going to need that type of flexibility level in a season like this. Yeah, and I think the bottom line too, guys, and this will be the last thing I say, that, because then, and uh, then we'll get to Joe Judge. And one of the first things he actually talked about, Jeff, he was asked a question about, you know, whether or not they could move training camp somewhere else. And to me, this is all going to come down to how well these teams and, frankly, the employees that aren't players around the teams, including the coaches, manage to avoid contracting this thing outside the facility because it's not going to enter the facility from inside, right? Somebody's going to have to pick it up outside the building and bring it in. So it's just going to be a matter of everyone doing the best they can to be responsible. And, you know, sometimes you can be as responsible as you try, and and, and, and there's just no avoiding it. So it's going to be something we have to kind of see what happens. And like you said, Lance, be flexible, and you got to figure things out as you go along. It's not going to be easy, but I think that's kind of just where we are right now and, and what we're going to have to figure out. Yeah, one, one thing real quickly. I'm, I, I just feel like, you know, we, we're all we hear about is testing and you know, there's some asymptomatic people that have COVID that, you know, they're just not, they're not, you don't, so you got to be real careful. You know, there could be somebody inside the building um, that's not showing symptoms and don't, doesn't even know they have it. Well, and to your point, Jeff, that's why you're going to have to test every few yeah. days to try to avoid Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I think that really the, the main focus here, aside from logistically trying to understand when, how this is all going to work, is going to be, there's going to be some sort of testing protocol. It has to happen. 
Um, and Jeff, and I wonder if you're going to have to like stagger when maybe only certain position groups are in the weight room at once. The meetings don't all happen sure. at the same time. Sure. People lift weights and instead of having, you know, there are 25 guys in there. You only have eight guys in there. Yeah. And so you, you wait space them out. different yeah. shifts throughout the day. I mean, you know how these locker room works in the showers. You're right on top of these other guys. You yeah. might have to figure things out here where everything is done in, you know, shifts almost during the day where maybe they're in for one team meeting each day, but otherwise things almost really have to be done by position group. Wow. You know, when <laughs> we had this thing called the shower pill. <laughs> oh yep, I, re I remember you guys had the scoreboard for who had the shower pills. The shower pills, yep. so it meant there's going to be a big old bucket of shower pills, man. No one's going to want to go in and take a shower with anybody anymore. But, so but by the by like, the way, Jeff, for the fans, explain to them what a shower pill is. Please. Well, a shower pill. A lot of people on Saturday mornings when we would come to, to uh, into the facility. Saturday we had a walkthrough, so nobody really sweated or anything like that, and they they would just come in. Uh, go to meetings and we go through walkthrough and they right after walkthrough was over practice the day was over so people would come in and they would just take a shower pill they wouldn't go take a shower they just put on their clothes and they would hightail it out of there and you know we tried to keep track of who who was the winner of the shower pill award every year it's kind of gross <laughs> but um you know there's there's days where it's acceptable and there's days that it's not a wednesday thursday or a friday there is not anything acceptable about a shower pill on those days trust me no way <laughs> Not even for a kicker or a punter? No. No, because no, okay. we're sweating our butt off out there. Of course, just like everyone else. Hey, no, unacceptable. It, it can get really hot on that back nine, man. I, I know that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah very strenuous. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to go there. I, I, I'm a little bit disturbed about the twosome golf thing that's going on in New Jersey right now. So, Hey, at least the courses are open for you, though, Jack. Yeah, they are. So I, I, You're right. You can no actually carts. go out there with your sons. And you can know, socially fact, distance. It'll be fun. Real quickly, in, in the golf thing. We can play foursomes as long as they are you're in your family. Oh, okay, you know, that's interesting. Okay, so you're already connected to the people in your group. That's 100. percent Yeah. So, and so that makes now sense. it's like you know. So if you're going to go out and play in social distance from somebody you're not living with, it's a twosome. And then if you can go out and if you can have a foursome with your family. So I'm actually taking my my three boys out Saturday, and we're going to go play golf for the first time in a long time. So I can't wait. All right, let, let's get the head coach of the Giants, yeah, Joe go. Judge. He had a chance to talk to the media, and I believe one of the first questions from Tom Rock was asked about um, the potential of having training camp away from the Giants facility. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Good, Zach. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I, I was just wondering, you know, you've talked a lot about uh, trying to uh, establish a culture uh, with the Giants now that you come in. I, I guess how much difficulty are you having really getting to do that with, with the environment that you guys are currently coaching in via Zoom and all that? And, and how, how are you, what ways are you trying to like build camaraderie? Among I think a lot of things we're trying to build within the culture right now are showing up based in the circumstances that we have allotted to us and how hard the players are working. And that's what we're looking to build is that, you know, culture of everyone doing whatever it takes to be successful. And right now we're seeing that across the board with our players. I'm very pleased in how they come every day prepared. I'm pleased in how they come every day with a lot of urgency. And we're getting great feedback and communication through the meetings with the players themselves. You know, as far as building camaraderie with them, you know, probably the best part of the day is when you can click on the Zoom and everyone has their, you know, screens unmuted and you just hear the guys talking across. And that's probably the best part is, you know, it took about a week for them to get comfortable enough to do that. And, you know, I think they kind of realized that, you know, as coaches, we were laughing, you know, listening to them talk and then they got a little bit more comfortable and really started breaking it down. But, it's fun seeing all the personalities really emerge and the connections. Today was the first day we had the rookies in the meetings with the vets. So you could tell right away, you know, a couple guys saw some new faces and you heard a couple, oh, there's rookies in here today. So I'm sure, you know, they'll be asking them for a joke by tomorrow. Rock, you can go ahead with your question. 
Joe, what's going to happen after uh, after this week is over? Do you have a plan, I guess, for, for the next phase? And, and have there been any discussions? Uh, I saw a report about uh, teams discussing moving training camps out of areas where there might be uh, stay-at-home restrictions for them. All right, so the first part, I mean, we definitely have a plan. We're assuming right now that we're going to continue working virtually with the players. We'll wait for further clarity from the league. You know, we were told to plan through May 18, so that's what we're doing right now. In terms of relocating, uh, our ops department's doing a great job right now mapping out a lot of different scenarios in terms of if for some reason we have to relocate, uh, they're you know making connections around you know the area, around the country, as to whatever we may need to do. I mean, we're waiting on direction from the league in terms of what we make decisions on that. Hopefully, in a perfect world, we're all back together in New Jersey training sooner than later. Uh, but we're planning for a lot of hypotheticals to make sure if they come up, we're not caught by surprise. Go ahead, Rock. I was, um, where, where, what are some of the options that you've considered in terms of moving, moving training camp? And, and would you do that in the spring too? I don't know that we're going to necessarily have an option to do in the spring unless the league would give us a thumbs up on that. I think right now, just with the climate in the country, one thing we have to consider is, you know, first off, the safety of our players traveling across the country, getting on flights, traveling through cars. There's a lot of mandated quarantines that come with that as well. So the timeliness factor of getting players, having them travel, the amount of time they're quarantined, getting them in the building. Can we secure that they're going to be quarantined along with all the staff and coaches that are surrounding them, whether that's in our facility or somewhere else? There's a lot of logistical things we have to consider. The first thing we talk about in all these conversations is, are we 100% certain the players are going to remain healthy or we're not putting anybody at risk? I'd have a tough time right now asking a player to fly across the country from California when I probably wouldn't be the first one most willing to throw my two sons on the plane to go the other way. So when we talk about this, we have to consider every, all the big picture of what's going on. Look, I would love to have them in Jersey right now. I would love for you know us to have a set up remote campus if that's what was necessary. But getting them to the campus and making sure that while we're there, they're not exposed to anything, we have to consider that as well. Thanks, Joe. No problem, Tom. Jordan, you can go ahead. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey, what's going on, Jordan? Not much. Uh, I was just wondering, how much have you been able to install so far? And I mean, everybody wants to know, you know, what is your offense going to look like, right? And I, I'm curious, how would you describe schematically kind of what your offense is going to look like? And is it something Daniel has done before? Is it completely new? You know, I think schematically the easiest way to describe it to kind of the outside world right now is, you know, it's going to be similarly based off what Jason's done in Dallas over the last 10 or so years. So there's going to be some similarities carried to that, but it's got to cater to our players we have on our roster currently. So right now we're installing all the base concepts and the shell of the offense. I think really you'll see throughout training camps as it takes form with the character of our team and as different players emerge. And then really along with that, you know, it's going to take shape throughout the season as well. You know, we're going to be a team that focuses a lot on game plans or whatever we have to do game by game. That may be running the ball every play or throwing the ball every play based on the opponent. Uh, but we're going to make sure that we're not too rigid in what we're doing that we can't adapt by game plan. Is there any similarities for Daniel regarding what he did in college? Maybe that what you're doing here because they ran a pro-style system, I believe, in, in Duke, or what they ran last year here with the Giants? I won't say – it's not the true West Coast system. You know, really one thing that Jason does that's that's really outstanding is it's really his system that's been formed over years collectively from where he's played and coached on that. And those are part of the conversations we had when we talked about, you know, joining the staff and we've talked along the way 
is it's really a collection of what Jason's put together throughout his own career. There's going to be similarities to this, you know, in some regards to Daniel, and I can't tell you concrete wise what that's going to be, but there's a lot of cousin concepts you would say in every offense. You know, when me and Jason talk about the offense, there's a lot of familiarity in the terminology and verbiage that he uses that I've heard, you know, when I worked at Alabama under Saban. And a lot of that comes from crossover, the offense coordinators, that they worked alongside in, in Miami together. You know, within this league, you really kind of study the head coaches and coordinators. You know, you talk a lot about coaching trees, but it really comes into the influences that you've worked under or played under. And normally, once you work under somebody, you develop your own style, but you borrow a lot from that person that you just left. Whether it's as simple as verbiage, terminology, you know, philosophies on route running, pass protections, all those things there. I would say to answer your question, there's going to be some similarities for Daniel, but I would not say this is a carryover in any way, shape, or form from his rookie year. Appreciate it, Jeff. Lombardo, no problem. Hey, Joe, hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, you see you, Matt. Thanks. Hey, I'm, I'm curious. There's been a lot of talk about how first-year coaches might be at a bit of a disadvantage with the way this whole process is playing out, not being able to get in the building and having to rely on Zoom. But as a guy who's never been a head coach before, is there anything about this that's advantageous to what you're trying to do and what you're trying to build? You know, I think the advantage goes to who's most prepared from this point forward. And that's what we've been working on doing, to focus on what we can control. Uh, our IT department, along with our coaching staff, did a great job of setting up you know, the use of computers, our players are doing a great job of accessing all the information and working with us, you know, in the allotted time. Um, we got a lot of guys that are showing a lot of urgency to do everything they can to give themselves a head start heading into training camp. And that's really what the spring's about. Patty, you can go ahead with your question. Thank you. Coach, how are you doing? Thanks for doing this. Hey, Patty, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. You spoke earlier about the type of offensive system that you're installing. Can you talk a little bit about the defensive system that Patrick Graham is putting together? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I could give you the whole, it's going to be a multiple answer. Everyone says, you know, what's that mean? Probably the easiest way to describe that is you could go back to last year in Miami where Patrick was. You could follow that through the different systems he's been part of, whether it's New England. He had experience in you know New York and Green Bay, so there's a lot of different flavors of defenses there as well. Um, but truly will be, you know, a team that's going to be multiple by game plan, how we have to match up and attack the opponent. But the elements of the defense you can really look through what it will closely resemble will really be the other stops that Patrick has been along his way that I've been there as well. The New England system, um, some of the Houston system, the Tennessee system, the Miami system, those families of defense, you know, will be the biggest influences that will go in ours. Of course, ours will be mostly dictated by the players we had to use. And in and in terms of special teams, obviously, Tom, Thomas McGahee, um, outstanding special teams coach. I'm just wondering how much of your influence from the uh, Patriots are you going to maybe bring to the Giants special teams? I'll be involved with all three sides of the ball, but T-Mac is the special teams coordinator here. Uh, two questions for you. To follow up on what Patty said about Patrick Graham, could you just talk a little bit about how you got him? I don't think we've ever asked that. He Obviously, he was under contract with Miami. You know Brian Flores. How did that come about? You know, without going too much into you know different conversations, I mean, we just followed the league procedure. If we put in a request to speak with him, they granted the request, and and he was our top choice. And then uh, another defensive question, uh, Marcus Golden. You guys used that tag on him. Yes. How did that come about? I think the Patriots are one of the only teams to use that in recent years when you were there. How did that come about, and have you talked to Marcus since you guys put the tag on him? 
without going into what we talked about, yes, I have spoken, Marcus. Um, look, I have a lot of respect for him as a player. He's a, he's a great person. He's a hard worker, um, but he's a productive player. So we have a lot of respect for him, and he's definitely somebody that we've spoke to, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, possibility of adding to the roster. We placed the tag on him. That's something that's allotted us through the league rules. And uh, we thought it was a situation when it came up and was available for us. That's something that we could use. But, you know, we have an interest in Marcus. Uh, we've talked to him, and uh, we're going through the procedure right now, and we're going to let it kind of play out a little bit and see where everything shakes out. A lot of really good stuff there from Joe Judge, and let's kind of hit the stuff one by one. Uh, we'll start first, guys, in terms of uh, the status with camp and the spring workouts. And, you know, he said certainly through the 18th of May at the earliest, um, there will be no players, obviously, at the facility. And it certainly doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Um, so the first time we could see the players looks like it's probably going to be training camp. And Joe Judge talked about perhaps doing it on location somewhere, but he really seemed to want it to happen in the facility if possible, though they are exploring other options just in case it cannot happen in the facility. Well, it goes back to, guys, the conversation we had earlier. And right now, his biggest priority is the safety of his players. And if things change between now and August, you know, then they can obviously explore bringing the players back to the facility. But I think right now, it's certainly premature. And his response, which I think was a poignant statement, was when he was asked about perhaps relocating camp or even relocating spring workouts if NFL rules and regulations allowed it. And I'm paraphrasing his statement, but he said, if I don't feel comfortable right now putting my sons on an airplane yep. to go across country, why would I ask a guy right now on my team who's living in California to fly cross country back to New Jersey? So to me, guys, I think that spells it all out. It's, it does. And, and he also mentioned out mapping out scenarios and waiting on decisions from the league. Those, that's all he can do right now. That's all, this, that's all the team can do. They just got to continue uh, getting better you know, virtually um, like he mentions, and just kind of stay the course until somebody tells them that this is what they're going to do. And it's just it, it's, it's frustrating for him, I'm sure. Um, but it is what it is. And, you know, they have to continue to just try to do the best they can with what they have. You know, and he, this wasn't in the audio you guys heard, but he was later asked uh, whether or not he thought he was at a disadvantage because he's a rookie coach. That's kind of going through this. And he said, guys, look, basically this is all about getting the guys as prepared as possible for training camp. That's what we're doing. And basically he doesn't want to use that as a crutch. And he said, I'm getting these guys ready. They'll be ready come camp. Rookie coach or not, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and I think that he handled that fine because I think sure. that right now it's easy for any first-time head coach to be prepared to say, oh, well, under the circumstances, this is why our team didn't perform and so forth. But I never got the feeling that he was cut from a cloth that was going to be worried about building up excuses early on in his career. <laughs> so I was not surprised by that answer. I think what's interesting is the fact that if you go back to 2011, and we had similar conversations that also first-time head coaches, teams with new schemes, and the bulk of their coaching staff is new, would be in trouble. And really, the exception to that rule was, interestingly, guys, the Cincinnati Bengals, because they had to turn to Andy Dalton that year, 
a rookie quarterback, and they did not have him in the facility. Granted, he could work out with some of his new teammates on his own, and the Bengals wound up going to the playoffs. So is it an indication that all of these teams are in a precarious spot? I don't know about that. There's always exceptions to the rule. But I think if you're reading this based on the surface, I've said this time and time again. If you look at the NFC East alone, you've got one team that could preach continuity, and that's the Eagles. And even the Eagles, by the way, guys, are incorporating a lot of new faces because they pretty much revamped their wide receiver core and they're bringing in Darius Slay, a veteran who's new to the scheme. But they have the most that they're bringing back. The Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Giants, all three of those teams right now are in the same ballpark. The only thing different is Mike McCarthy and Ron Rivera are veteran coaches, but they're also trying to implement their new schemes within a roster that right now they're pretty much unfamiliar with. And they also have young players just like yeah. the Giants. So... Um, virtual learning, all this stuff, it's all the same. It's all the same. This isn't how coaches have done this before. So no matter if Coach McCarthy or Ron Rivera have had all this experience in coaching, they haven't had experience with this. So it all it puts pretty much on everybody on the same same level, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I do think it's a little easier for teams with their turning quarterbacks that know the offensive system to be able to kind of go about their business and, and maybe not miss much of a beat. So I, I do think that's an advantage to an extent. Teams with veteran quarterbacks, like Ben Roethlisberger is going to show up even off an elbow injury. He's going to be like, oh, I, I know what's going on here. This is easy. This is no problem. I get it. This is fine. No issues. But yeah, look, to Lance's original point, Joe Judge is not an excuse maker, and he no. will get these guys ready as well as he can. And, you know, talking about experienced quarterbacks and coaches, uh, the veil was lifted a bit on what this offense is going to look like. And it's not a surprise what the offense is going to look like. And the quote from Joe Judge, similar to what Jason Garrett did in Dallas the last 10 years, <laughs> which should not be a surprise given that's the offensive coordinator. But, and I think he talked a little bit about you know, what he liked about Garrett is that he's kind of, you know, cherry-picked from different places he's been to put his offense together. He mentioned some of the terminology is stuff that he's familiar with, Joe Judge, I mean, from his time with Nick Saban. So uh, that's one of the reasons he liked Garrett, because he's cherry-picked from all the spots he has been. And Lance, we talk, and Jeff, we talked about this a lot leading up to the hire and after the hire that the interesting thing with Garrett is, you know, he has his time as an offensive coordinator, but then he had Scott Linehan, he had Bill Callahan, and then he had Kellen Moore last year. So how much is his offense going to look like more what Kellen Moore did last season, which was kind of less traditional Jason Garrett stuff than he did in years past? How much is it going to look like what they did under Bill Callahan? Was It was a lot more outside zone with DeMarco Murray. Then they went to more power stuff with Elliott. So while we have an idea of what it's going to look like, which is – not a West Coast system, which is why Joe Judge said that Daniel Jones, while there will be some familiar concepts, it is by no means in any way a carryover from what he did last year as a rookie. It will be interesting to see exactly what Jeff Garrett cherry picks mm -hmm. from the different things he did in Dallas over a really long time when that Dallas offense did morph and change along the way. Well, one of the things I like what he said, and it, and it goes to what you're talking about, he said he mentioned it as a cater to our players. So there you go. I mean, it's, he's telling you that it's going to look a lot like what you just talked about, but this system will cater to uh, the advantages, I guess, is the players here that are here. Daniel Jones's advantages of doing this and that. Um, you know, the guys, uh, Evan Ingram, you know, how good can he take advantage of this system by putting him in certain situations to succeed? It just goes on down the line. 
So, but you know, the the, the common person is going to look at this and think that this is the Dallas Cowboy offense, which it probably will be, but it is going to cater to a lot of the guys that are here and their strengths. You know, Lance, I think though, what is the Cowboys offense? And I think that that was the question I was I was trying to drive at a little bit because when we had well, Brian brought us on, right? Um, he talked about how the offense changed from year to year and how much Kellen Moore really changed things when he took over last year. I think, guys, it'll be curious to, to see how much of the Kellen Moore stuff comes or how much is it really this more of the stuff they did with Linehan that was kind of seemed like more the Jason Garrett bread and butter stuff. Lance, I'll get just real quick. Yeah, go ahead, I'll give Jeff, you please. my quick one. Yeah. I'll just tell you right now. This it's going to be a tight end running offense. I mean, you're going to see tight ends and run the football and I, you know, obviously so, they've so you got think receivers be, on this. So Jeff, you think too. this will be more of a traditional old That's school what I think. That's North what I think. Turner, Ernie Zampezi vertical NFL offense. So not as much of the bunch formation, spread concept, motion stuff that we saw last year. That's just what I think. Fair enough. That's why I asked the question. Lance? Well, it seems as if Jeff is indicating Jason Garrett's going to go back into his original coach, who Jeff has ties to, and Jimmy Johnson, because that's what I'm envisioning, Jeff, in terms <laughs> of your Miami days. And remember, Garrett was you know, mm -hmm. with Jimmy Johnson when he was a player, backing yeah. up Troy Aikman. So guys like North Turner, we're going back to the premier 90s with the Dallas Cowboys when they were built upon the run game. They had Jay Novacek. Yep. I mean, that's at least what I'm envisioning, Jeff, when you're throwing things like that out there yeah I, I just you know and obviously I think you can throw a little bit of that era into this offense with a little bit of 2020 um, understanding that this game is is a lot through the air but you know the foundation of football you guys know it is running the football and winning in the fourth quarter you got to be able to run the football so you have a you have a guy like Saquon Barkley who can run the football you've got a, a revamped offensive line where I think that that there's going to be a lot of emphasis put on those guys to learn how to run block. I think that Mark Colombo will bring a great uh, set of eyes to that meeting room and be able to coach these guys in a way that they can coach the run game so that Jaquan Barkley will have a future here with a good running game. That's what you want. And then you can throw it all over the place. Well, here's what I will say, and you, I think, brought up an interesting point, Jeff, because one of the things that Joe Judge did mention was – it's going to be Garrett's system from Dallas, or at least pieces of it, but he's going to cater to the talent on the roster. So if we were to just put the Giants roster, or at least their offensive weapons guys, up against what Dallas had, I'm not saying that it's identical, but I do think that Jason Garrett has similarities in terms of the personnel that he leaned on in Dallas. For example, you've got... Blake Jarwin in Dallas. Okay, you've got Evan Ingram here. So you have a tight end that you can utilize as a wide receiver. Or, Lance, if you want to go back, you know, Jason Witten was there forever, one of, of the course. more prolific pass-catching tight ends, obviously. 100%. I would argue, though, John, I think Jarwin's got a little bit more athleticism, no, maybe. That's fair. I agree. And is that newer type of tight end style, yes. which Evan Ingram is more related to than I agree. perhaps what Jason brought to the table? No, I agree with you. That I'm would be that. maybe just mm -hmm. a slight difference. They each have running backs that are more than capable of carrying the load. Zeke and Saquon are certainly different in terms of body and physique, but they both can catch the ball out of the backfield. They both can be utilized as weapons, so there's some similarity there. And as far as the receiving core goes, well, Dallas was working with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and Randall Cobb as their three main wide receivers. And the Giants right now, at least if you want to say the top three, you have Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton. So my point is he's got versatility, 
and he has different guys that he can move around, not identical, but somewhat similar to at least the main core that he was working with in Dallas last season. Now, I'll say the one big difference, guys, is probably the... I don't want... I'm trying to find the right word. Lack of high-level experience offensive line play. You know, there aren't... You know, Kevin Zeitler... Probably can you know play with those other guys in Dallas, but there's not a lot of Tyron Smiths, Travis Fredericks, and Zach Martin's running around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You hope Andrew Thomas can become one of those guys. You hope Will Hernandez can become one of those guys. That Nate Solder can get back to playing the way he used to. So Garrett will have to, I think, make some type of adjustment maybe in how he runs his offense based on the quality of the offensive line play where maybe you have to help out the tackles a little bit. Maybe you have to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker because that offensive line maybe might not hold up quite as long as that Dallas one did. Fair? I agree. I think it's extremely fair. I think that Dallas had a great luxury over the last decade that you just referenced. Well, I'll tell you what, lads. It was a luxury they had to invest in. Exactly. (laughs) Jeff said it. In draft picks and then in contracts. But they paid for that line, man. They did. Well, and that's exactly where I was going to get to in terms of investing each and every year just about in those first-round picks, but yielding results as a result of those investments, which to me is most important. They had a solid running game, and they clearly gave Tony Romo towards the latter part of his career, and Dak Prescott the necessary protection as a result of having those offensive linemen. Here's the other thing, though, that you can point to. He did have to deal with life when you lose some of those guys where the offensive line is not 100%. And, you know, that to me maybe exposed him to what he's going to try to figure out with the Giants, where he's working with some young guys, he's bringing in some new guys that he has to get involved from a chemistry standpoint in the offensive line to a significant degree at times. Remember when Tyron Smith was hurt, they had to experiment at the left tackle position. They had some injuries on the interior. So even though they did have premier offensive linemen, Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo both had times where they had to rely on the bench and they had to get guys ready on the depth chart. And that, I think, will prepare them well for what they'll be working and configuring here with the Giants. Yeah, in addition to the Jeff you point you made before about the offense will be molded around the players the team has, which is obviously what you have to do and what most smart coaches will do. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the ones that aren't smart don't do that. They don't have their jobs very long. But... The other thing he talked about was adjusting the scheme week to week based on opponent, which is something that Bill Belichick has always done. And Joe Judge has stressed that since he got here. This will not be, this is what we do. We're going to do it. This is how we're going to beat you by doing this. This is going to be, all right, here's our basic scheme. This is what we're able to do. Well, we're going to emphasize something completely different this week because of the opponent that we're playing and their strengths and their weaknesses. That was something that Kevin Gilbride, I thought, used to do unbelievably well that nobody gave him credit for, where his him and Tom Coughlin, week to week, Jeff, and you were in the meeting. You, you, knew, you know this a lot better than me. I'd love you to talk about it. You know, was they, were able to adjust what they did, who they targeted, how they schemed things up based on their opponent. Look, there's a reason those two guys are able to beat Bill Belichick in two Super Bowls. It's because they know how to play that same type of game that Belichick did, scheming around your opponent. Tom Coughlin outcoached Bill Belichick in those Super Bowls. He just did, especially, and you relived it again when they replayed that 2007 game, you know, just about a month ago. And, you know, if they're able to do that this year with this team, it'll add a little bit more juice to whatever your quote-unquote offensive scheme is. Yeah, and I, I, I think that, you know, he had mentioned that, you know, we, they might run the ball 30 times. 
you know, in a row. <laughs> well, one week, and then the next week they might pass it 30 yeah, times That's in a row. exactly right. And obviously he's stretching the truth a little bit there, but the fact of the matter is is that we all know that this game is built on matchups. And some coaches feel that it doesn't have to be week to week. It just has to be they, they're going to run their system. Listen, the, the scripted first 15 plays, I've never understood it ever in my life. But some guys, they're holding to it. Andy Reid's a guy um, that does the first 15. Holmgren always did the first 15 plays, no matter what situations they were. If you're second and long, you're still running the second play that you have on your fifth, first 15. That's silly. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me, but they still do it. Um, so my point is, is that if you have some, some organizations, they sit there and say, you know what, we're just going to run our offense against this defense because we feel we're that good. Well, I don't, I don't see that as being very successful. I see you sitting in the meeting rooms and game planning around the weakest link. Who is your weakest link on defense or offense? And attack those people. Or one person. And by the way, Jeff, we've seen teams do that against the Giants for years. Hundred all the time. And and, and we and it's funny because we sit there in, in our in what we talk about during the week is we we figure it out ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not the smartest people in the world when it comes to football stuff, right? I mean, we, but we're figuring this stuff out. And then on Sundays we're sitting there going, What are they doing? how could how is this happening? Um, but you know, I liked, I liked the way he's talking about doing this stuff because I've always been a big, uh, I've always been one of those persons that says, listen, if I can find that weak guy, that is it a corner? Is it a defensive end? Is it a defensive tackle? Why am I not going to scheme around this guy and take him out of the game and just run right at him or throw at him until they can stop it? You know, that's the, that's just the way that I think. And I like the way he's thinking. Well, I don't think it's a surprise because, John, as you hit on, he's been under Bill Belichick for many years. Yeah, and long. Bill Belichick is king of doing that. I mean, there were weeks where, guys, they would start one running back one week. I mean, this would be more of a fantasy nightmare than yeah. maybe a reality nightmare. But he would start one running back out of his backfield. He'd give him 25 carries, and then the next week— that guy would be nowhere to be found. He may even be inactive. So it wasn't even the scheme. Bill Belichick was known for throwing surprises at you from a personnel standpoint. Now, I'm sure Giants fans are not going to want to hear that Saquon Barkley is being removed from the game plan from one week to another, and I don't foresee that happening. But the point is, as Jeff mentioned, you could see some weeks where they're pass-happy because mm -hmm. of what the opposition has from a weakness standpoint. And then there's other weeks where they just want to run it down your throat. And I think that, you know, most teams in today's NFL need to keep the opposition on edge that way because the minute you become predictable, it makes it very easy for the team that's coming in week on and week out because they're going to see it on film and they're going to pick up on it very quickly. So I think they want to try to keep teams guessing and it's never bad to be adopting that philosophy and the guys what on, I, on I, both I, sides of the ball too absolutely That's just offense. yeah 100 and and i guess we can get to the patrick graham stuff now i want to circle back on daniel jones but I, I do like the fact and you know that they're still talking about this because a lot of times you'll get the opening press conference and a coach will say oh i'm going to do things this way that way this way that way and then all of a sudden when you get to you know the the rubber hits the road it really doesn't happen I mean, how many times did we hear when, when Pat Shermer got hired that we're going to do a lot of two tight ends, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and they were in, you know, 11 personnel all the time. Fullback. Now, how about now, the fullback? Remember right, that? Now, I, I do think that the Giants personnel lent itself to having three wide receivers on the field based on their talent, so I get why he went that way, but it is still good to hear um, 
the the head coach still kind of talking about these same basic concepts. Uh, Patrick Graham, they did ask about his defensive scheme, and to no one's surprise, it's funny. JoJo's actually joking. He goes, you know, I can give you the 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 stock <laughs> answer that we're going to be multiple and we're going to do a lot of different things. But instead, I'm actually going to tell you something. And he basically said that the defensive scheme is going to look very similar to what the other people from that Belichick family does, whether you're talking about Detroit, New England, Tennessee, Houston, Miami. So you're looking at probably what's a 3-4 base, right? If you're in, you know, first and 10, it'll probably be a 3-4 base, depending on what offensive personnel is on the field. You'll adjust, obviously, if they're, if the offense has multiple, it says, you know, three or four wide receivers. And then you'll go into a, a multiple package. And, you know, we talked about some of the stuff that Graham did last year. You know, on some third and longs, he wouldn't. He would have everyone standing up at the line of scrimmage to try to confuse people. You play a lot of man-to-man defense in the secondary. You rely on blitzing to get after the quarterback because you have, in theory, higher-level defensive backs that can cover one-on-one a lot better. And that's how they went about their business. So I'm happy to say that I think we theorized pretty well. You know, we'll have to wait to see when it's actually in motion on the field on the grass. But Lance, I think based on what we've talked about, I think we kind of pegged the type of stuff that Patrick Graham's going to try to do. Well, the other thing that's important to note, John, and Joe Judge brought up the fact that he was in Miami last year. You know, one of the challenges that, to me, Patrick Graham faced last season in Miami is he didn't have a lot of playmakers. I mean, let's be honest here, guys. Miami did not go out (laughs) on a spending spree in free agency and say, hey, Patrick, we're going to give you some elite guys. They traded everyone away. Exactly. Exactly. So he was relying on young guys, but he wasn't relying on a lot of firepower, and he had to get creative as a result. I remember in the game in which the Giants played the Dolphins, you know, in terms of having to really try to generate a pass rush and utilize different personnel sets because you didn't have a lot of playmakers. Okay, so now you're coming into a Giants defense. I'm not saying it's identical to the Dolphins. I think there's a lot more upside in terms of this group, but... Oh, there's more talent for sure. Correct. He's dealing, though, again, John, with a lot of youth, though. Okay, so that's not going to be necessarily anything new for him. And I think he's dealing with a unit that also has some questions in terms of the pass rushing department. He's got some pieces that are familiar with him because of his days in Green Bay, but still, looking for that guy that could be the alpha male, the Robin, the Batman, I think those roles are still to be determined. So, as a result, I think he's going to be just as creative as he was in Miami. But this also goes back to conversations, guys, that we've had on this program using the New England Belichick theory. And there are years where Belichick, more often than not, with the exception of maybe the years where they were relying heavily on Chandler Jones, and you could argue they really had a premier pass rusher. Outside of that, it was, hey, let's really invest in our secondary. Let's get good cover guys. Let's buy the pass rush time to get after the quarterback. And let's have our linebackers do a lot of the heavy lifting. And I could think that that is going to be a big part of the philosophy this year. I think that they're going to put a lot of pressure on that secondary, even though it's young. They're going to tell those guys, listen, we expect you to go out, cover, and do the best you can to stick with your man because we need you to buy time for the front group to get the job done. Yeah, Jeff, the good news is that last year in Miami, I think heading into that Giants game, I think every single one of their defensive backs that started, except for maybe one, was an undrafted free agent. They have more talented, now it's still young, but a more talented group with the Giants this year to try to implement that strategy. Well, 
Patrick Graham is going to ask a lot out of that secondary because he likes to, those guys to play a lot of man defense. Oh, a lot what of man. Patriots. Yep. So, in fact, Jeff, I believe the Dolphins, according to Pro Football Focus, either had the highest or second highest man defense percentage in the league last year, along with Detroit. Yeah, and I mean, so we we're not talking. We're also talking about those linebackers, you know, covering man on man for some guys coming out of the backfield and tight ends now. If you look at kind of a trend that I saw with this free agency signing this year and even to the point of some of these um, cornerbacks, um, Darby, is, Darby is the other guy. Um, or excuse me, Dar- Darnay Holmes. This is a guy that's very smart, okay? Graduated college in three years. Two and a half, um, actually. And, and so you look at the guys that he's brought in here. You know, if you look at where uh, Patrick Graham went to school, he's a very intelligent man. Um, he is going to ask that at, – from his defense and so these guys got to be smart and they're going to be asked to do a lot of things but i feel like being multiple forces you to be a smart player you just can't i mean if you played one defense how easy is that right i mean if you're going to play multiple defenses on multiple weekends you're going to be asking these guys to do a lot of studying and a lot of comprehension and i think that's all part of the mix here guys and i think that um it's going to be fun to watch I, it's going to be a blast to watch this defense. And especially if you can get these linebackers, um, you know, Zimenez and Carter to play and, and get the most out of those young guys. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch on Sundays. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I uh, want to head back one second very quickly, guys. Um, to, I mentioned this briefly about Daniel Jones. And I really think a big part of this season and how much success the Giants are going to have. Yeah, duh. It's going to be linked to the quarterback. But... You know, we saw Daniel Jones played really well in, in, in Pat Shermer's scheme last year. And I still maintain Pat Shermer knows how to scheme up an offense. He knows how to scheme guys open. He knows how, he knows what he's doing with the passing game. He just does. Uh, look what he had with Case Keenum in Minnesota. And he was able to get a lot of out of a guy that, you know, didn't have a great pedigree. And I think we saw Jones succeed in that scheme last year. So I wonder how Jones is going to play in a scheme that is very different than the West Coast system he played in last year. And I believe the way Joe Judge talked about it, he called it cousin concepts, where one thing can carry over from one system to the other. But he was very clear that this is in no way a carryover from what he did last year. So, look, Jones can handle it mentally. I'm not worried about him learning the system. I'm not worried about him, you know, figuring out the playbook and, you know, that sort of stuff. He'll be fine with that. But how he physically performs in a system that maybe asks him to do some different things, I think will be a real interesting case study this year as he switches systems from year one to year two. Yeah, I, here's here's what you're gonna see out of Daniel Jones and the handing um, off to Saquon Barkley. <laughs> uh, well, you're gonna see a lot of that, but you're also gonna see Jason Garrett putting Daniel Jones in situations that aren't gonna really, uh, you know, ask him to do a lot um, and protect the football. <laughs> da- Listen, Jason Garrett has been in this division for so long. He's been in the league for he understands that category. You know, if you if you continuously give the football away you're not going to win very many games daniel jones did that a lot last year um that is the one number one priority if in my opinion that jason garrett is coming in here and jerry shaplinski the quarterback coach is going to try to fix and it's going to be through scheme and it's going to be through fundamentals and technique holding on to that football and not making as many state mistakes and then rely on some of the other guys around you to make plays that's that's what i would be doing 
Well, Jerry Shuplinski clearly worked with Tom Brady for some seasons, and Brady is one of the best in terms of protecting the football. And if you look at Jason Garrett, well, he's been with Tony Romo, and then he was with Dak Prescott. And (laughs) Prescott took over as the starting quarterback when he was a rookie, and nobody Mm -hmm. expected him to move up the depth chart that quick. The reason I'm bringing this up is I think it helps that Garrett has been exposed to developing young quarterbacks. That's not necessarily a bad thing because, John, as you mentioned, if Daniel Jones is going to have to learn a new system, at least he understands what his approach was Garrett when he was working with Dak Prescott and how he, by the way, had to get him ready in a very short period of time. As a rookie. If you remember, Romo got hurt in the preseason with the back injury. Kellen Moore, who is now their offensive coordinator, he was originally the backup. He had broken his ankle that preseason. Mm -hmm. So therefore, Dak went from third string to starter, and all of a sudden, they're starting the season against the Giants, if you remember. That was the first game when Dak and the Cowboys, they had that very close game, and Terrence Williams couldn't get the ball out of bounds in time for them to go for the game-winning field goal attempt. Mm -hmm. So... I think that experience at least is going to help him in terms of how he approaches things with Daniel Jones. But I think Daniel Jones learning the system, I would agree with you, John, is not the issue. My biggest concern is it's just the fact that he is learning a new system for the third time in as many years. Because remember, I'm taking into consideration the Duke system too, which he had to master before he came to the Giants. And it's more of how much time, guys, is he going to have on the field before the season starts? That, to me, is the biggest question for Daniel Jones. Okay, I get it. He's going to have all the mental reps. He's going to be able to communicate with his offensive players. He's going to be able to have all the conversations you want with Garrett and Chaplinski. But you know, Jeff, from being a football player, it's one thing to learn it, learn it, learn it, and it's another thing to then go out and have it translate on the field. And any young quarterback needs those reps whether he's worked with the personnel around him or hasn't, how much time he's going to have before the Mm -hmm. season starts, that to me is going to determine the outlook for Daniel Jones this season. Yeah, no question. One of the the questions I asked Mike Sullivan, who we had on our show, you know, how much is – is the quarterback room like in other words the rest of the team might have a half of this playbook does the quarterbacks have the whole playbook oh, that's a good question and and he basically said you know and I didn't ask it in that te- in that in that kind of context but I was asking him you know do you think these guys are way ahead of the rest of the team and he said absolutely because they have to be they have to be kind of on another level cuz they everything runs through the quarterback and that's great and you know this with the new system it's important but I feel like um, there's just so many guys that just have to be – they just learn on the field better. They learn with a football in their hand better. They learn with a coach yelling and screaming at them on the field better. And that is something that's missing right now. And I don't know if Daniel Jones is one of those guys. Um, it doesn't seem like he would be because he's very cerebral. But, you know, I just feel like this is a big problem as, you know, virtually learning. There is nothing going on on the field. And that's kind of hard for a football player and for a football coach. Um, and trust me, I, I, it would drive me crazy um, being in this situation right now because, you know what, if I was out there wanting to be able to practice, there's nowhere I can go right now, guys. I can't, yeah. I can't go to a, a field. Yeah. I can't go to a high school. Um, I'm not sure know. how big Daniel Jones's backyard is. He does have his brother and sister home with him who are collegiate athletes. We could probably use that. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's not like a, like in baseball, you could at least have one of those pitchbacks and you could yeah. throw it in there and come back to you. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is, this is a major disadvantage right now for everyone. But speaking of pitchbacks, this is completely a non sequitur. I forget what pitcher it was. 
Someone for the Diamondbacks, his wife put up a video on Twitter. He had just set up his pitch back. He was a pitcher trying to get throws into the backyard. He threw it over the pitch back and, and broke, broke through the, the window. window. Broke, I yeah. saw that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. That was good. Um, that was the, good. How much, Jeff, as a player, do you think it'll help Jones? It was Joe Kelly, by the way. Ah, Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly thank yeah. you. I, I, I knew it was either a former Yankee or Red Sox. Former Red Sox. Um, how much will it help Jones, Jeff, do you think that most of the receivers and even skill position guys throwing the tight ends uh, are returning from last year? So he has a lot of experience throwing to these guys. So yeah. at least he doesn't have to learn kind of those types of tendencies, which you really, to Lance's point, only can learn when you're on the field with them. Big time. I mean, you know, the plays, the terminology – um, there's still nine routes that we call it, right? There's a route tree that these guys run, one, a run route, two route, four route, nine, nine seam, all that stuff. It's still running the same routes. Um, and it's just termed differently, and it's a different play. But, you know, as far as timing, it's a big asset to have that, John, because these guys have been working all of last year. They understand. I mean, Daniel Jones knows when Sterling Shepard is coming out of his break he understands whether he's, he drops his hips or he doesn't. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, mm-hmm. other than a guy that's, that's coming in here brand new, he doesn't know anything about them. So that definitely helps them. 100% helps them and a lot. Lance, I want to go back to something that you brought up. And I don't know if Giant fans will be annoyed about this or not because I see a lot of Dak Prescott hate for them on Twitter. Daniel Jones is not that dissimilar to a quarterback than Dak Prescott. I know you don't think that when, 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 when you think about the two guys, but both are actually good runners. I think Prescott's probably a little bit bulkier and a little bit, you know. Harder you know, to bring down. Yeah, I would yeah. say that's the case. But, you know, both guys to me are kind of, they're not super elusive in the pocket. Like, I always thought Tony Romo was actually more elusive than Prescott, like in evading sacks, you know what I mean? But Prescott, much like Jones, are kind of good straight-ahead runners, right? Once they get going, they're fast and they could run. And I, I think I think Jones and Prescott are actually fairly similar and I wonder, to, to your guys' points that you guys made before, if that'll give Garrett a, a little bit of an edge here in knowing how to use Jones, even though you're not probably going to use Jones in as many design runs as the Cowboys used Prescott with early in his career. Well, I think it will help. I think the mobility factor is certainly something that comes to mind. As Jeff pointed out, the physique, the build is a little bit different. But you know, the reason why I also, guys, brought up Dak Prescott is Prescott – I don't think gets enough credit for how well he protects the football. You know, his touchdown to interception ratio is solid. If you look at what he's done over the course of four years, he's had no more than 13 interceptions in a single season. He's had two seasons where he's had eight or less interceptions. I don't think he's fumbled a lot either, right? Fumbling has not been a major concern either. So, you know, that's the one thing that to me is important because as Jeff pointed out, one of the things that Jason Garrett and Jerry Shuplisky are going to work on is making sure Daniel Jones does not repeat what happened last year. And most rookies have trouble with ball security their first year in the NFL. So I don't think that should be a stunning development. But the goal is you want to see those numbers move further down, not necessarily stay even. So that to me is encouraging that Dak's numbers have remained steady going back to his rookie year to now four years later. That to me is a trait that I think you want to see Daniel Jones emulate. And the other part of it is, once again, how well Dak took to the system. Now, to your point, John, when Jason Garrett and Dak Prescott came together, Jason Garrett was not the play caller. So the relationship between Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones is going to be a little bit different That's true than too. what Jason Garrett had with 
Dak Prescott. It was more of head coach quarterback. Now it's OC quarterback. So, you know, we still have to see what tricks Jason Garrett has up his sleeve. But it's not as if when you're the head coach of a team, you're not talking to the quarterback, especially when you're a former quarterback yourself. So I don't think that's a stretch. But the ball security, the fact that Dak was so good in that department, that to me should be a very encouraging factor that you hope those two in particular, specifically Jason Garrett, can help with Daniel Jones. Yeah, and Jeff, you go back, you know how Garrett runs his offenses. There's a lot of slants. There's a lot of in-breaking routes, deep in-cuts, things like that. And usually, if you spread the field enough, there is a little bit more to operate in the middle. And generally speaking, passing to the middle of the field is more efficient. But that doesn't mean you have to read the linebackers and safeties correctly to make those types of throws. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Jones does kind of, you know, play in this different system, which Giant fans are going to be familiar with because, you know, they've played the Cowboys so often over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, I, think, I just think, again, it's going to also come game to game. I mean, is, there, is the middle of the field going to be more um, available on one week than it is the other? Um, you know, they might, the team that they're playing might have really good linebackers that cover the middle of the field. And, yeah. you know, Daniel Jones, we, sh- we see that he can throw the ball down the field. Um, you know, Darius Slayton is a guy that can get down the field, has some speed and has some ball hawking skills to go up and get that. So, you know, I feel like he's going to make some of those plays. But in my opinion, Daniel Jones is going to be effective and efficient. That's kind of the two words that I'm looking out of him this yeah. year in this system. Good word. Good words, Jeff. I agree with you. A couple of things from the calls, guys, I thought it was interesting. You know, Joe Judge talked a little bit about how – the environment of having all these guys on screen <laughs> with the assistants while they're making their presentation, you can kind of see whether they're texting while they're, you know, listening to the presentation, how focused they are. Do they make eye contact with the camera? Are they kind of looking away? And, you know, Joe Judge has made it pretty clear that he told all the guys everything you do is making an impression. So it's almost like he's kind of judging these guys, you know, and, and how they're paying attention now. He said, obviously, that what happens on the grass in the summer is what's going to determine things, but it's given them at least a bit of an insight into what guys are really locked in Mm -hmm. just by their demeanor watching the presentation on screen, Jeff, which I thought was interesting. I... It's really funny because I kind of have an insight to this because my son, Zach, is doing this, um, who's playing at Rutgers, and they're doing doing Zoom meetings. They're doing all of this stuff. Um, He's working out in the garage with his computer on the workbench, you know, with the guys. It's it's amazing. And, Jeff, by the way, real quickly, I will point out that Joe Judge did say they are not tracking workouts that way with the Giants. They're sending guys, you know, things they can do to keep keep in shape, but they're not really tracking it and making the guys send in videos. So that's not something they're doing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's a lot like when those guys leave after, you know, the OTAs are over. They leave for those five weeks before they come back for training camp. They don't track the guys then. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but, you know, if you're a professional, you should be doing what you can do. There isn't a lot that guys can do. That You know, they said also in his interview, I don't know if it's it's what you heard, but he had mentioned that, you know, the, the team has made available weights and things for these guys if they don't have a place to go to, which is kind of cool. Um, but back to the virtual learning and how guys are going to these meetings, I've watched a couple of these meetings, and I've seen what these coaches are doing. They're giving these guys assignments. Interesting. And, and it's interesting. They're not football assignments. They're kind of like life skill uh, assignments and just like reading assignments and things just to do things differently to bring out kind of conversation amongst the guys in the group because the coach can only talk for so much, right? So what they're doing is they're giving them these assignments and then they're having like a group chat about it. 
Um, I find it very interesting and just doing everything they can to keep these guys focused because, you know, listen, guys, you can imagine going on these Zoom meetings every single day, how how they can get distracted. Um, But bottom line is, and we've talked about this with the guys that we've interviewed from the colleges that understand these college players, the rookies that we're talking about, you know, how how good are they at learning? Um, And some of them are better than others virtually learning, you know, and being able to sit still for four and a half, five hours (laughs) at a place and study. Some guys just can't do that. So I'm sure these coaches are getting indoctrinated to how these guys study, which is a good thing because, you know, coming out of these meetings like this, when they start to be able to be able to go one on one and call the guys in the office, I'm sure a lot of them are going to be like, uh, excuse me, John Schmel, come in here, please. Um, I noticed that you don't do well on a Zoom <laughs> thing. I'm hoping that you do better in the classroom <laughs> in personally. Yeah, know? and Lance, the coach did mention he only has two hours with the vets each day, and yeah. they're trying to jam as much into that as possible. And he's also, they said, basically sent like installation videos with voiceovers that the players can watch on their own time too mm-hmm. to try to kind of keep up with this stuff. Well, everyone's across the board trying to be creative. It's not just football players. It's everybody in any walk of life. So I think what Joe Judge laid out is really the challenge that any workforce right now is trying to take on. How do you keep the workforce engaged? How do you keep guys productive? So Joe Judge to me is no different than any other CEO or department head. What I also found interesting in terms of the observation is he also said that he likes just sort of sitting back and seeing how the players are interacting among themselves and seeing maybe who's emerging as a leader, who is not shying away from taking the vocal lead and maybe pointing out things that he had learned by going back to the playbook and so forth and then sharing that with teammates. You know, that I thought was an interesting observation. But you know what this reminded me of when Joe Judge was talking to the media? It reminded me, guys, of what he pointed out in his introductory presser. And this goes back to his background. Where did Mm -hmm. Joe Judge start? Remember, he was a teacher himself. Remember, he was going to go into a career overseeing kindergarten. Kindergartner. So, you know, if there's anybody, I guess my point is, that understands the challenge of, Jeff, as you pointed out, trying to keep people engaged for X amount of minutes, if you can do it with children at the kindergarten level, getting adults to stay engaged, I don't think is nearly as challenging, but the fact that he's got an educational background, schooling, and keeping people engaged and using technology to do that at the lowest possible levels, I think maybe at least allows him to be more prepared for these circumstances than perhaps other individuals who are not thinking about it at such a microscopic level that it seems he has been taking it on. Yeah, and Jeff, he also mentioned how um, you know he's seeing guys emerge, and Lance said he's kind of seeing who, who the leaders are going to be, and he said even in these digital environments, he's seeing... What guys will talk directly to a teammate, kind of take them aside and, and try to you know guide somebody else along to help them? And even in the digital format, he's seeing those type of leaders emerge in these meetings. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I, I, I'd be curious to see the evaluation of some of these guys. Now, remember, um, the rookies, this is the first time they've got in the room with the veterans, so I'm sure that they're scared to death. By that the happened way. this week, by the way, for the first <laughs> so, time. I think you know when, but when the rookies are rookies, they're all they're all scared to death together. So, but it's good, a good thing. And I'm wondering, like a lot of the evaluation that went on with these people, if it if it shows that this guy was a leader um, on the field, off the field, and see some of those um, evaluation points if they actually come to fruition in some of these Zoom meetings. And it sounds to me like they are. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. A um, couple other notes I do enjoy during these Zoom meetings. 
seeing how all the different media guys are kind of like in, in kind of what they're doing mm-hmm. as Joe Judge is giving answers. I'm really disappointed that Tatino has not figured out how to do video on the Zoom calls. <laughs> I would love to see him in his Giants dungeon, you know, doing these calls and, you know, seeing how excited he gets when, like, Joe Judge gives an answer that he likes and he gets those big, you know, he gets the big bronze smile with, like, the big white teeth gleaming through the screen. <laughs> I miss that. I'm not going to lie. I miss it. Well, maybe well, sooner or later. You're probably on an island of your own, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> Given the weather, do you think the Tino's worked the tan back in? I mean, we haven't seen him in two months. He could be like, you know, he could be anything at this point. He could be like pale as a ghost like me and Lance. Well, he has been getting out from what I've been told. So my guess would be he's doing everything he can to maintain it. Not a lot of sun, though, man. There oh, has it. Yeah. But now that the weather's going to warm up and there will be sun, you would assume, out, I'm sure he'll find ways. Well, Lance, when you say he's been getting out, I'm sure he's been thrown out plenty of times. Oh, my. Are you kidding sure. me? Yes. So maybe not by choice. Yeah, no question. Yeah. You know, one of, us a- should, one of us should try to find a, a Giants Brandon mask that he could wear around the neighborhood. I think he would like that. He might even have that already. I'm yeah, sure he does. He might or have, he sure. maybe cut up a T-shirt of some sort and yeah. created his own mask. He's probably got one from 1984 anyways. <laughs> or he has one back from 1918 during the Spanish flu. He, <laughs> well, he my, saved my that guess one. My Dottino, Dottino seems like a guy that has a giant scarf, and I can see him wrapping the scarf around his face. And he does have a giant scarf, that's for sure. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, he, you're right. He probably wears that as a mask. And, you know, I guess it works, but he probably gets a lot of weird looks, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not, sure if it's, I'm not sure if he gets more weird looks with or without it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the weird looks came yeah. well before the pandemic. No, yeah, exactly. Now, the other thing, a couple of funny things Joe Judge said I'll get to real quick. Um, we don't want to make too much, guys, of this whole, you know, how these guys are doing on these virtual meetings. That's going to determine who plays and who doesn't. Uh, he didn't make the joke that, you know, I'm not interested in, you know, having a bunch of guys that are good on the computer. If, if I wanted to do that, i just go into Circuit City and i find a good team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently, right. Joe Judge hasn't got electronic shopping in a while. It's been <laughs> some time Circuit since Circuit yeah. City was around. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a little bit of time, but it shows you how locked in he is on the job. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, wow. And then he also pointed out he got a nice haircut. And I, I'm surprised he went here. I guess he's assuming that his wife's not going to listen to these things because he said his wife gave his son a haircut and it looked as though he got into a fight with a broken bottle. <laughs> so he did not let his wife give him a haircut and he actually gave himself a haircut, which I thought was funny. And I hope for Joe's sake that his wife doesn't hear that comment. I'm just picturing a lot of nicks and blood there. So, I mean, listen, John, they should all go with our haircuts, right? Oh, easiest thing to do at home in the world. How about you, Lance? How are you managing that with the oh, haircut? I was going to say, this is maybe the one time that I'm a bit envious of the two of you. And that'll be the <laughs> only time that I'll be saying that in any professional or personal <laughs> manner. I'm getting by. I mean, listen, it's it's growing. Have you have you given yourself a trim No, I, I have not. I, because, you know, listen, I, I'm used to my thick hair and, and it growing out sometimes. So this is not anything that's somewhat of uncharted territory. Can you but, believe this guy, Jeff, my thick hair? Was it just well, hair? It, it is. It, it is hair. relatively thick. So oh, please. I'm, I am used to having to deal with that. And, and there's no complaints because, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not complaining that I have hair. Do you that, gel? That's a good thing. Do you gel? <laughs> I do not gel. I used to gel. I have not gelled in a while. I may have to bring the gel to Stylish a little bit more, Mm -hmm. though. That may be a possibility. There's been some consultation on that front, I will say. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else with the presser, guys, that you want to bring up that I missed? I think I hit everything. Uh, No. You know, know, actually, one one thing that I I heard him say that was interesting to me 
was about talking about playing and you know, if the if the players are going to get have to get used to playing without any fans. Oh, that's it. I forgot about that. He made a good point about you know they practice every day without fans, and um, you know that's a good point because it you know it'll be different. Um, but those guys compete. When you're on that field, guys, I can tell you every practice you're competing. Well, Jeff, tell I, me though, for you, what would it have been like to play in a game with no fans? Well, I'll, I I think I said this to Lance one time. We were we were, was asked this on one of the other shows. Is that the thing the closest thing that I could get to this was when um like we would have like pick a seat day in training camp sometimes where you would go back to the stadium in arizona i went back to the stadium there and there was about five thousand people there and we'd had a scrimmage so you know it's a little bit different but the bottom line guys is this it it's great you know when you're at home you got your crowd behind you because it can influence a game you know how momentum works um i think that's going to be missing obviously and that's a big part of it but the bottom line here is that these guys are getting paid and they got to win games and there's still there's still a common goal here. These are real games and they're trying to win. And so with or without the fans, we wish that they were there, but they're going to compete and they're going to be good games. It's just going to be a little bit different. Um, for me, it would have been great. The away games on fourth down are usually very loud. And, um, and I used to wear earplugs anyway so i was always playing in silence yeah you no, can't no big deal. you can't hear anything anyway <laughs> what you can't exactly right <laughs> how about you lance anything well i agree i think that that was interesting when joe judge was asked about the whole fan component and i've been just thinking about this on my own about you know to jeff's point when you go on the road as a team and you have to prepare for the silent count because you're so worried about the intensity of the crowd, how that could very well change the dynamics of a game if we get to that point. So I think that's something interesting. Is home field advantage going to be a thing? Is it really going to be that big of an advantage if you're at your home field and nobody is there in terms of the loudness of the crowd? That, I think, is going to be something that's going to be interesting. Here's another thing I just want to throw out that I was thinking about. You know how the Falcons were accused of throwing Pumping in music in? Correct. Do you yeah. think that the league, Jeff, would maybe demand that they actually use artificial crowd ah, noise? Ah, that's a good question. Could they actually throw it's that in? And would that make a difference? I'd be curious. I, I thought about that quickly before you had mentioned that. I was thinking to myself, well, maybe the home team will be allowed to pump in their own music. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> or their crowd yeah. noise, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, at certain times, and or maybe it'd have a consistent. I, you know, there might be something there where, uh, from a player's perspective, you know, like um, I don't know if it was, I can't remember which coach it was. All the coaches, I guess, they they pump in music or or loud airplane During noises, practice you know? and so forth, right? Yeah. So I'm wondering if they maybe just because you want some of that white noise that you're used to, um, that they do that in each of the stadiums. Maybe not as loud as you think it would be, but it would it, the guys might like it. Interesting, yeah. I think that'll be interesting to see. Guys, good times, man. This was fun. Absolutely. Well, good to have you back, John. Yeah, we, great to have we you back. We appreciate you uh, joining us again, and we're glad that everything is well. Um, and again, we're just, uh, I know you'll miss your dad, and uh, we're just glad that everything is uh, back to normal, hopefully. And good to have you back on the show, my man. Jeff, I wish everything was back to normal in the real <laughs> world, man. I am ready for things to get back to normal <laughs> in the worst possible yeah, way. I know we all are. Oh, yeah. man. Everybody, thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll be with you. Uh, recorded shows for the rest of this week. I want to remind everyone, too, if you want to send in questions, they've kind of slowed down since the draft. So go to Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions. Again, 
It's Giants.com slash podcasts slash BBK questions, and you can submit your questions to Big Blue Kickoff Live, and we'll get to them over the course of the show. And I have a chance to talk about the draft of the schedule release, which I missed out on the last two weeks. So we'll do that moving forward as well. And then we're hoping, we're hoping, I'll do a little tease here, to get back doing live shows next week. We'll see. Trying. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to Jeff. Thanks to Lance. Everyone stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live.